Hey, Trojan fans, get ready for the Trojan Blast podcast. The Trojan Blast is like our regular hairstyle podcast with a little twist. You can download all of our podcasts 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Trojan Blast podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast, Trojan Blast Recruiting Edition. We are on the, the line with Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com, national recruiting analyst. He's going to join us and talk about the Rivals five-star challenge coming up this weekend. Also answer a lot of your questions. We've got a bunch of defensive line questions, offensive tackle questions. We're going to get to all of those on the show, but wanted to thank and welcome Gerard Martinez for joining us yet again. What's up, Gerard? Uh, nothing much, just uh, taking a deep breath before uh, we get a gauntlet of camps coming up uh, over the next several weeks. It's going to be a long month all the way into July. Certainly will be, and uh, one of the biggest ones out there. It's brand new, Rivals.com, five-star challenge, and uh, we're going to start off with a question about that. This is from Carlos Gerard. He says, I'm a, US, a huge USC football fan. I follow Trojan recruiting every day. I wanted to ask Gerard, are you going to be attending the Rivals five-star challenge, and if you are, who are you look for, looking forward to seeing the most? I love the podcast. I'm from Downey, California, and I'm looking forward to seeing Jabari Ruffin compete in the next couple of months. Thanks, guys. That's from Carlos. We will be at the Five Star Challenge in force. Uh, we will have exclusive video, interviews, photos, analysis, everything from the camp. Um, it's going to be uh, a pretty cool couple days, and there's going to be a lot of really good players there. Obviously, you know, for USC, uh, they've got themselves actually seven uh, commitments they're going to be representing uh, the Trojans at the camp. You're going to have Kenny Bigelow, Justin Davis, Kylie Fitz, Chris Hawkins, Eldridge Massington, Stephen Mitchell, Max Brown. It's a pretty, pretty long list of guys. I think, obviously, you know, top of the list for USC, Kenny Bigelow, just to see him in person and watch him in one-on-one drills against uh, very good competition. I think that's going to be something that everybody wants to see. Uh, he's dominated everywhere he's gone. Physically, he's a very dominant player as a five-star defensive tackle. Uh, but coming from, you know, Delaware now, uh, playing school at Maryland at a very small school, people just want to see him go against another top guy and see if he can be that dominant still. Um, so I think, you know, Kenny Bigelow is going to be a, a big uh, attraction at the camp. I think watching Max Brown throw to some of these receivers, obviously he's going to have two future Trojans there and Eldridge Massington and Stephen Mitchell, who just committed last week. I think that's going to be very interesting uh, to watch those guys, see what, you know, timing-wise, how they play, um, see, you know, how they play kind of uh, complementing each other as receivers. Massington and Mitchell, you know, both different types of receivers, both have speed, uh, but one's, you know, 6'3", 200 pounds. Uh, Stephen Mitchell is only about 5'10", 180 pounds. So kind of watching those guys play and, and kind of getting a feel for them differently, you know, and, and how they kind of mix and match a little bit and how Brown uses those two guys and feels throwing the ball to those two guys. So I, I think, you know, there's a lot of different matchups and things that, uh, you know, you look forward to watching. But obviously for us, you know, we're going to keep a, a real close eye on the, the USC commits and then the abundant amount of USC targets. I mean, there, the list is just too great to go into, but, uh, you know, you're going to have 100 players there and you're probably going to have, I don't know, maybe 25 to 30 guys there that are looking at USC for official visits. Yeah, I mean, I, the guys you mentioned, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing. I, I do want to see Massington a little bit. Anyone that's not local that we don't get to see 
in person or, or see that much. And, and, you know, Massington's not a guy that was really well-known. Like Bigelow's been well-known. Max Brown's been well-known. We haven't seen a lot of Massington, so I would definitely want to see a lot of him. And I do like when we would go to the Army All-American Bowl and we got to see Cody Kessler throw into uh, Victor Blackwell and, and throw into George Farmer. It's fun to see those kind of connections. And now, like just this morning, or, you know, Tuesday morning, I was at – USC working out and you get to see Kessler throw to those guys again. It's funny to see them going from high school to college and make that transition. But I do like seeing future teammates being able to play with one another, especially when you're talking about skill guys, like a quarterback to a a running back or a wide receiver. It just kind of gives you a little preview of what you're going to see in the future. Yeah, exactly. And there's the guys there that, that could end up at USC that, you know, we're going to be evaluating and seeing, you know, how they get along with the guys that are already committed. I mean, sometimes that's a telltale sign of, you know, whether a kid is really going to be a part of the class or not, it's just who he surrounds himself with. And if you see Jalen Ramsey hanging out with all the USC commits and, and kind of yucking it up with those guys, then you start to think, okay, Jalen Ramsey he definitely seems like uh, might be a USC guy. Sebastian LaRue will be there. He's another guy that just got a scholarship offer from USC as a receiver. He could also play cornerback. Um, there's quite a few of those type of players that we're going to have to watch and kind of see if, uh, you know, this type of gathering – it, it brings more players in than USC already has. Sometimes something like this, you know, we go to the Army All-American Bowl, sometimes it produces uh, guys that are interested in USC that weren't interested in USC before just because, you know, they're hanging out with Max Brown or they're hanging out with Stephen Mitchell or, or Chris Hawkins is in there talking uh, about USC and all of a sudden they decide, you know what, I want to take a USC visit. I want to look at USC a little harder. So I think overall, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys to, to check out and compare. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into some of these questions. We do have a bunch. We're going to go to one of our buddies uh, talking about offensive line recruiting. This is uh, Miguel. Hey, Ryan. It's Miguel. Got a question for Gerard. Wanted to know um, with the recent two commitments of two offensive tackles for the 2014 class, uh, does that mean that maybe Khalil Rogers closer to getting an offer? Um, the way I see it is, we got two commitments for next year. We could still get a tackle this year. We picked up three last year, and Andre Walker is still a sophomore. So, you know, he still has uh, three years of to play at USC. I um, wanted to know um, if Khalil Rogers might get an offer. Thank you very much, and fight on. I don't believe so. At this point, we're hearing that Rogers isn't going to visit USC unofficially and doesn't really have them on his list for an unofficial vi- or an official visit, excuse me, uh, later on in the fall. So it seems at this point what we're hearing from Mac East is that USC and Cole Rogers have pretty much parted ways. Um, I think the 2014 class really doesn't have anything to do with uh, the 2013 class in that regard. Um, overall, you could say, well, you know what, they're getting guys – uh, for 2014, and then you could kind of see what they need for 2013, maybe a little more. Um, you know, I think the two guys that they've got, one, Jordan Pullen, he's going to be an offensive tackle, 6'8", 335 pounds already. Um, he's a guy that really you're going to put on the edge because of his size and because of his footwork and his athletic ability. He's a great basketball player. Um, he's a guy that, on paper, you know, you could probably compare to Chantrell Henderson. Uh, people will cringe at that comparison just because Chantrell Henderson hasn't really panned out in college thus far. But I think more of the issues with Chantrell Henderson are his disposition and kind of uh, you know his mental makeup, and he's had some injuries at Miami. So, um, but physically, you're 
looking at the comparisons and kind of looking at them at high school, there, there, there are definitely some parallels there between Jordan Poland and uh, Chantrell Henderson. I think uh, with uh, Toa Lobendon, he's going to be an interior guy. Uh, if he's going to play offensive line, he's going to play guard. He could play defensive tackle too, but I'm hearing more that he's going to be more of an interior lineman. He could grow still and end up being an offensive uh, tackle, uh, but from what I understand, he's probably more of an interior guy. So, you know, you've got an offensive tackle and you've got maybe an offensive guard for 2014. Uh, you could end up probably seeing that same makeup for 2014. I think what it does is it means maybe USC is is going local and they may be um, just you know okay with that. And and they're going to continue to recruit nationally. You've got a guy like Laramie Tunsil, 6'6", 290 pounds, uh, a five-star offensive tackle from uh, Lake City Columbia High School. And that's kind of a little bit of a reach and a stretch. I mean, I think he's going to stay down south. I think his top three is still, you know, basically like Clemson and, and Florida and, and those schools down there. Um, but USC is going to continue to recruit him. You know, he says he wants to officially visit USC. So you've got those type of guys that are out there, and they're going to be dangling out there probably all the way till January. But I think um, USC can, can sit back and they can start to look at more local players, and I think they'll be okay with that. It's just one of those years where you're not going to find a bunch of elite offensive tackle types like you did last last year okay and david kind of had a follow-up to that he, you you mentioned jordan Poland and uh toa lobendon and he wanted to know how good those guys are did, does gerard think that they are future rivals 100 guys five-star guys it seemed to me that they must be elite recruits to have received committable offers from sc this early in the process that's from david well you know i haven't seen either in person and i think with jordan Poland, from what i hear about him he has the makeup of a possible high four-star, five-star guy. The biggest knock on him is going to be that he's playing at Loyola Country Day High School, which is a very small high school in San Diego, after transferring from uh, a high school in Phoenix. So, And another big issue for him is going to be basically he's going to sit out his senior year. That's going to affect his ranking. You don't usually see a guy that's five-star that's not playing his senior year. Because when he transferred, he ended up being academically held back, he's – athletically still on track to be actually a 2013 guy. So this is going to be his last year playing football. Then next year he will sit out the season, and then he will graduate and he will enroll at USC in January. So um, it's one of those things that I think that's going to limit his ability to, to climb up the rankings. But from an athletic standpoint, from a physical standpoint, what I heard well before the USC camp was that this kid was a beast. This kid was a freak. He was just athletically way, way too good to be 6'8", 335 pounds. He can dunk a basketball, all that kind of stuff. So I think just from his physical makeup, a lot of people are going to be very intrigued by him, and I think he will be very high in the rankings. Um, I think with Lobendon, that's one of those guys that just people are going to have to see more. They're going to see how he develops. I think you know right now he's in that 6'3", 270-pound range. He could very easily end up you know 285, 290 by the time he graduates high school. Um, and he's tough. He's physical. From what I gather, from the USC line camp a couple weeks ago was that he was probably the most dominant lineman at the camp overall, uh, maybe even more dominant than Jordan Poland. Jordan Poland had those intangibles, those things that, you know, you see a guy that's 6'8", 335, and he moves well. You're like, whoa, okay, he's got a lot of potential. But I think with Lobendon, he was a guy that was actually just going out there and beating people up. So I think, you know, you've got kind of a combination. You've got a guy with a lot of potential and a lot of intrigue just because of his physical frame and his makeup, and then you've got a guy that went out there and just pretty much dominated. Um, So I think it's a combination of two different guys. Rankings-wise, I think both guys are definitely – Rivals 100 type players, whether they get that elite five star status, 
status? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think that, you know, with, with Lobendon being a guard, I think he'll probably fall short of that. And with uh, Jordan Poland not playing uh, his senior year and also being a guy that plays at a small school, small competition, I think that's going to be something that probably detracts him from being a five-star too. All right. Uh, next one's from David Valenzuela. Uh, he had a couple of questions. First was on Sean Harlow. He said he looked great at the Nike camp especially one-on-ones, he handled everyone handily, yet he gets no love. He can play all five positions on the line. What seems to be his downside, and he wanted to follow up with that, also regarding the, the, the camp, Kylie Fitz destroyed Poland and the other offensive linemen, yet little was spoken about his performance. I know he had bad chin splints and was sent to the trainer by the coaches at the end, but his technique, particularly his quick hands, were impressive. That's again from David. Well, first and foremost, David actually has a little more inside information on the camp than we do. We're not allowed to cover the camp. We're not allowed to be there in person. So a lot of what we get is hearsay. Media is, for this point in time, because of the sanctions by the NCAA, uh, stricken from uh, the camps. Basically, they're close to the public. You have to be a family member um, or a coach to be able to be there at the camp and watch the camp. So. He's given us a little inside information as to what happened with Kylie Fitz and Poland. From what I understand, actually, Poland probably got his scholarship offer on the way he played against Kylie Fitz. Uh, a couple of people told me that he actually did pretty well against Kylie Fitz, and that was one of the main reasons that he actually got a scholarship offer. Um, you know, so Kylie not getting a lot of pub as to how he did. There's a lot of players that probably did well that um, you know didn't get the specific uh, you know gratitude from uh, you know the, the onlookers there. It's just one of those things that who's people are looking at and who they're keeping an eye out for Kylie being a guy that's already committed to USC a lot of people probably already felt like oh wait you know that's a USC guy he's committed to USC there's a reason they offered him a scholarship he should be you know beating uh, all these guys that are on the offensive line that we haven't necessarily heard of because at that point you know Jordan Poland a lot of people didn't know about Jordan Poland they just knew this was a gargantuan kid that just walked in the door I wonder who he is <laughs> and the same thing with uh, with Lobendon there wasn't a lot of people who really knew about Lobendon going into the camp so one of those things when those guys get off offers all of a sudden it's like yeah that guy yeah he was really good he surprised a lot of people and because they had to actually earn offers from the camp they had to perform better than just you know being okay or being good they had to be great um so that's kind of the reason uh behind that he did mention uh in the question nike camp so i don't know if he was specifically talking he said the lineman camp though so i I assume he was talking about the usc lineman camp because certainly fits and and poland did get to go against each other i'm not sure if they if those two guys were at the same Nike camp before, because we could have. Kylie Fitz was not at the Nike camp this year, so and I don't think Jordan Poland was either. So I think you know both of those guys. It's probably an observation main from the Lyman camp. One guy that he did mention, which I forgot to talk about, uh, was Sean Harlow, who was at the Nike camp, did well, and was also at the uh, Lyman camp this past uh, last weekend, and also did well, and not last weekend, but the weekend before. Uh, Sean Harlow is a guy that you know, and, and you know, he doesn't get a lot of hype, he doesn't get a lot of uh, love. I think it's one of those things, you know, coming away. From from a year where Kyle, Kyle Murphy was there, you know, Kyle Murphy being a five-star and, and being a 6'7", 275-pound, just perfect left tackle, basically. I mean, you put on a couple pounds, and he's just the perfect guy. Um, I think it's a lot of people kind of trying to compare those two guys, and there's really you can't compare, you know, you can't really compare two players too much um, ever. In that regard, you know, you have a guy that's just the prototype, and then people kind of look at Sean and they go, well, you know, he's not quite as tall, and he's not quite, you know, as pretty looking. I tell you what, I really, really like Sean Harlow. I think Sean Harlow's that guy that, 
you might offer a scholarship. And is that local guy that everybody's talking about Khalil Rogers and everybody's talking about maybe Laramie Tunsil and these guys that are, you know, back East, Sean Harlow's the kind of guy that, you know, you can overlook very easily in Orange County because you see him a lot. He's young. He just has not developed all the way, but you know, he's got those bloodlines because his dad, Pat played at USC. He's a guy that's going to end up getting there physically. I don't think that's a real issue. I think he's just young and hasn't really matured. And there's kind of question is, you know, is this guy developing his mean streak? Does he really have it? Is he going to be a guy that's going to come in is going to be really nasty and really serious? Because when you're comparing him to a guy, again, Kyle Murphy, and that's what everybody looks at because Kyle played at San Clemente last year. Kyle was a, a, an assassin. I mean, Kyle was a guy that didn't say two words, but would go out there and just try to kill you. And so, you know, everybody's kind of go, well, you know, how come Sean Harlow's not like that? Well, Sean Harlow's not like that because maybe Sean Harlow's just got a little longer, you know, to kind of develop and, and, and get that mean streak and kind of grow in that maturity. I think it's very possible, and I think that's a guy that USC's got to look very seriously at, at a scholarship offer, um, maybe going into Rising Stars. You know, they've seen him once at the lineman camp. I hear he played well. You know, he's going to have to try to back that up and get a scholarship offer, much like a guy like maybe, you know, Anthony Brown a few years uh, ago did. You know, Anthony Brown showed up to every camp that was possible. He went to the skills camp and didn't get a scholarship offer after performing really, really well. And people thought, well, you know what, that's about as best as he could do. He, I don't know why he would show up to the Rising Stars camp, you know, a few weeks later because, you know, he didn't get his offer. So what, is, what else he got to do to get an offer? Well, he showed up anyways and played great again and just, you know, competed. And I think it was that drive and that, uh, you know, display of, of relentlessness, you know, and not giving up and being like, hey, look, it, I didn't get a scholarship the first time, but I'm just going to keep coming back. Every opportunity you give me, I'm going to come out there and I'm going to compete. And I think if Sean Harlow does that, I think he's a guy that could be in line for an offer. All right. Uh, we have two questions on Nico Fala. First, Melvin. He's like, how much interest does USC have in Nico? How much interest does Nico have in USC? Who is the leader in their quest for Nico? And then uh, Anthony um, says, I, he says, I don't see a need for more than two offensive line recruits in this current class. If Fala decides to be a Bruin, might they only go for one? Who else would you see them going after? Well, we spoke about Sean Harlow, and I think with Nico Fala, I think USC has a great shot at Nico Fala. Um, you know, I hear that USC did a tremendous job of really gaining ground and maybe actually overcoming UCLA at the lineman camp. Uh, Nico, during that weekend, actually unofficially visited USC and UCLA. And I think it was one of those things where he just wanted to see what the coaches were doing. He wanted to see the style of coaching that was going on at each camp. He wanted to see kind of how things were run, the pace of things, the intensity of things. And I think the comparison, obviously USC is at a different point right now. And the amount of talent that was on the field is at a different point. And that type of environment can really sway a recruit if you're trying to compare two schools. Now, UCLA has been the longtime leader for Nico Fala, uh, mainly because, you know, he had family that's gone to UCLA. Um, he, he had, uh, you know, his former um, off-season trainer, Courtney Morgan, uh, was hired from B2G uh, by UCLA to be an administrative assistant. So he has a real good connection with Courtney Morgan. He has a good connection with Adrian Clem, um, the offensive line coach at UCLA. So there was a lot of built-in advantages for UCLA, but what, from what I'm hearing, USC definitely made a big run at him. We don't know who's actually his leader officially. He's not said. Um, at this point, it looks like it's between UCLA and USC, and he's going to announce sometime in, Jan uh, in July, early July. And so, you know, we're going to kind of keep our ear to the ground and kind of see what happens. But it does look pretty good for USC. And USC, I think, if, if, if they were given the opportunity to get Nico Fala, 
I think, you know, you get another guy maybe locally like Sean Harlow, and then you do end it. I think they do take two linemen. I think that's, you know, pretty much what they want. And, you know, I, I think staying local is, is not a bad thing for them. I think you get two guys that can definitely develop down the line. You're getting, you know, I mean, Sean is probably around that 270, 275 range. He's going to be able to put on some, some pounds. Uh, Nico's in that 275 range. He's going to be able to put on some pounds. Both those guys are versatile enough to play off the tackle. They're both versatile enough to play inside. I think Nico's got the better shot of being maybe more of an offensive tackle. And, it's, like I said, it's that year where, you know, finding those elite guys like you did last year, they're just not out there. Even nationally, you really got to try to look to find guys that you think are going to be, oh, these are guys going to be like immediate impact type players that can play as freshmen. I mean, I just don't see those guys all over the place out there, and I don't see a, a real need to wait for USC. I think USC would be really well off if they were able to get Nico Fala and then maybe follow up with Sean Harlow. I think that'd be a great offensive line class for, for what they are looking for, what they need right now, and what they're going to get. Okay, let's move on to linebackers. Uh, two questions on Michael Hutchings. Um, Melvin wanted to know, is he the number one recruiter of the position? And if not, who's plan B? And uh, Daniel in the OC wants to know if we lose out on Hutchings, who is the next on the wanted list? So they kind of want to know what's going on with Hutchings and then what's the story after him? Well, that's uh, that's a great question. And, and we just did uh, update our defensive and offensive target list. So those kind of give you a little bit of a roadmap as to kind of, you know, who's on the board, who has offers, and, and who could be next in line if somebody falls through. Um, I don't think Michael Hutchings is going to fall through, uh, but if he was to fall through, I mean, USC has scholarship offers to Matthew Thomas, who's a six foot three, 200-pound outside linebacker from Miami, Florida. Um, you know, Trey Johnson is there as an inside linebacker, 6'1", 230 pounds from uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia. He's probably going to be coming out this summer for an unofficial visit. He's uh, committed to Auburn right now, but it definitely seems like he's very interested in USC. I think the the one the, the plan B that jumps out and I, and I don't even know if it's a plan B at this point, you know, he he's kind of maybe a plan 1A is Tyrell Robinson. Tyree and Tyrell, Tyrell Robinson are the twin brothers from Lincoln High School in San Diego who came to the camp uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago and just blew it out. Um, they were probably the most physically impressive players uh, that whole weekend and really everybody that we talked to just raved about their ability, you know, men amongst the boys type thing. Tyree plays receiver. He also plays a little bit of quarterback for Lincoln. He played a little bit of safety that day. Tyrell is the outside linebacker, and I think Tyrell would definitely be that guy that, you know, if Hutchings fell, fell through, they would be all about uh, Tyrell. Even if Hutchings doesn't fall through, he still has a scholarship offer. They're still recruiting him. I think the one issue with Tyrell and Tyree Robinson is that, they are kind of a package deal. And USC only having 15, 18, you know, with uh, scholarships with early enrollees, that makes it difficult to bring in two guys, especially one of those guys is at a position that you really aren't looking to add to, and that's the receiver position, and that's where Tyree would come in. So it makes it kind of sticky and kind of difficult. We're going to have to see what happens with Sebastian LaRue. He was also offered a scholarship uh, over that weekend. He comes in as a slot receiver if he commits but he has a potential playing corner, um, and that's, that's kind of a thing, though. I mean, if you, they're bringing in three receivers, it's a guy that's going to be able to maybe play defensive back, and I think with Tyree, he's probably going to be a receiver. And 6'4", you know, 185 pounds, uh, same as his brother. I think you know, that's really kind of the issue there with those two guys. But Tyrell Robinson, just looking at him individually as a talent, 
The guy is uh, the guy is great, and there's a lot of people that think that uh, he might be the best outside linebacker in the state, at least athletically, potential-wise. Okay, well, that kind of answered our next question from Daniel, uh, Daniel from the OC, but also Daniel, Anthony, and JD from DC all kind of had questions that mentioned Daryl Daniels. Um, he committed to to UW, but I guess the the summary was. Um, Daniel did want to know about the the twins, the Robinson twins. You you, you covered that really well. Um, Anthony mentioned that it hasn't been said, but it seems like safe to say that Daniels was bypassed by Mitchell Larue and Stringfellow at the Skills Camp. Would USC have accepted a commit from Daniels after Mitchell committed? And uh, JD and DC mm-hmm. kind of wants you to rank what how you think the Division One potential ability to shine. He called it at the next level of all the the wide receiver targets that USC was after. So kind of a whole bunch of uh, wide receiver questions there. Yeah, exactly. Well, Daryl Daniels, I don't think they would have accepted a commitment. I think that, you know, he was probably ready to come in and make a commitment. USC wanted to see him more in person. Uh, We talked about this on the podcast in in previous weeks leading up to the camp that they had seen him in person during the May evaluation period, but because he was dealing with some type of hamstring issue, he really wasn't doing a lot. You know, he was just doing a little bit of routes, catching the ball and just kind of, you know, being out there and, and USC obviously liked his frame, six four, two hundred pounds, he's a big receiver. And then you look that he ran to ten seven in 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 track during the spring, which I don't know how that actually happened because I've seen him run and he does not look like he's ten seven and I always question that time. But it is a time and it is a you know, obviously no wind information, but it was a legit time. So you putting on paper a guy that you know, looks like uh, a Terrell Owens type. I mean, he's a big receiver. He's got great speed. And so they were definitely enamored with him coming into the camp. But one of those things was, you know, we want him to camp. And, and he came down to the camp, and he just did not perform very well. And USC, had, had, like was mentioned, basically looked at the other guys that were there. And I think ranking-wise, I, I, from, what I, from what I gather, and, you know, opinions vary, kind of making a – um, a, a mean average of, of all the opinions and all the observations that we got from the camp because we're not able to be there in person. Um, I, I think Tyree Robinson probably impressed people the most just in terms of being able to go get the ball. The one thing I heard quite a few times is that the quarterbacks at the camp just weren't very good. Um, when you got Max Brown committed, a lot of the 2013 guys that are top guys don't show up because they figure, hey, they're going to just take one guy and that's going to be done with it. So why should I go to a camp and try to earn a scholarship at USC when they're not taking any more quarterbacks? So that was kind of an issue at the camp. And so the quarterbacks were kind of a mixed bag. And the one thing I heard constantly about Tyree Robinson being 6'4", 180, he was going up and just snatching the ball out of the air. He was going out and just taking the ball from guys. And then obviously was very impressive because he was able to move around and go play safety and play safety pretty well as well. Um, so that was a guy that kind of, I think, stood out to a lot of people. It might just have been because of the razzle-dazzle type plays he was making, jumping over people. You know, the two twins are also basketball players. So that's kind of, you know, a big deal when you got a guy that's 6'4 and then can jump. If you've got quarterbacks that can't really throw the ball on time, then, you know, that guy's going to look pretty good at a camp setting. So that was the guy that probably got the most uh, rave reviews. Um, you know, I think Stephen Mitchell was right behind him just in terms of his work ethic, uh, in terms of his routes, his, quick, his quickness, his explosiveness. I think that was what USC really wanted to see from him. They wanted to see a guy if he was dynamic enough. You know, there was some times out there on him, but, you know, there were official times. It was almost like the exact opposite of what you saw from 
Darrell Daniels. Darrell Daniels was a guy that had that 10-7 out there, and everybody was enamored with it, but it was, really wasn't an official time. Whereas Steve Mitchell, a guy that we've seen in person, and we know is quick. We know is fast. I mean, you just watch him and go, that guy's fast. I mean, I don't need a clock to see how fast he is. He's fast. He's running by people. But he had some official times that were more in the 4-6 range, and then, you know, 4-7 is what I heard. He was, I think he ran 4-6-8 actually at the camp. So people are going, ah, that's not a great time. But it was an official laser time on a slow turf. Day after, he comes back from the Dana Hills passing tournament in which, you know, he basically led his team to a championship. So he was out there from 8 o'clock in the morning to 5 at night. And that, that's a long day for a kid to go through a passing tournament and then turn around and go to a camp at USC and perform. So it was one of those things that, you know, I think USC, they had their minds kind of set on a big receiver. Here comes Stephen Mitchell, and he was just everything as advertised plus more because you had some official times that seemed slow, but the guy's not slow. He's dynamic. He's a playmaker. The guy you see on film on his highlights is very – uh, well-represented in person. So, I mean, you can say that. Some guys don't. Some guys you look at on film, again, Darrell Daniels, he's just running by people. But then you have to question, who's he playing against? Alamany's playing against good competition. So the guys that, you know, Stephen Mitchell is running by, he runs by those guys at the Army All-American Combine. He runs by those guys at the Nike camp. He ran by those guys at the USC Skills camp. So I think he would be two. Um, three, uh, probably a toss-up there. I mean, I, I heard that, you know, Stringfellow definitely played really well. He was dominant. Um, you know, I think maybe LaRue comes in fourth just after him. Uh, LaRue played both sides of the ball, as I said earlier. You know, 5'11", 5'10", 175 pounds. He plays slot receiver. He's real smooth. He's got really good hands. Um, you know, he's a competitive kid. And then you put him over there at cornerback, and I hear that, you know, he played really well against Stephen Mitchell specifically, and that was kind of the thing that also intrigued USC. So you got a real versatile talent there. So I think between, you know, those two guys, you probably had Stringfellow, and you have, uh, you know, LaRue kind of battling out for three three and four. Fifth would probably be Darren Carrington, uh, the 6'2", 175-pound wide receiver from San Diego, uh, the son of Darren Carrington Sr., uh, who played for the Chargers. He went out there, and I heard he made a lot of good plays, too. A guy that's younger, a guy that probably has to develop a little more, uh, a guy that might have a chance at a scholarship offer if USC had uh, a full class of 25. I think he is actually one of those guys that definitely um, kind of is on the cusp just on the outside uh, because of the numbers. Um, you know, Tyree at the top is going to be an issue, and you can go all the way to five and look at the issue with Darren Carrington. So that's kind of where you see, you know, that 15 rule really hurt USC because they could bring in, you know, a third legitimate receiver and not have to worry about that guy being, you know, versatile enough to maybe play defensive back if they had a full class. So that would probably be the top five from what I've gathered, um, you know, over the past week or so. Um, I think, you know, maybe probably Darrell Daniels probably falls just outside of that, maybe it six or seven okay um wait a bit put on the spot and deliver gerard let's uh, <laughs> we got a we got a bunch of defensive line questions but i want to start with this one uh this is from terry in la i read uh j ron curse is going to take an official to usc later this summer how do you like our chances gm and would you yeah okay how do you like our chances uh jaron curse is actually going to be here unofficially um, he's not, you know, during the summer, you're not taking official visits. Those have to be taken after September 1st. He's going to be on an unofficial, um, going to be for the rising stars camp and USC's chances are, uh, wait and see. Uh, I would tend 
probably not real good. Um, you know, he's from Miami, committed to Miami early in the process, just decommitted from Miami, and now he's going around taking visits. You know, he's one of those guys that maybe later down the process ends up back at Miami. Um, it's hard to really say right now. He, you know, officially says USC is at the top for him, and he's actually being recruited as a safety. So there's another guy. I mean, we've, the safeties are coming out of USC's ears right now. I mean, they've got so many safety prospects. Um, so he's going to come in, and, you know, they're going to be able to see him, 6'4", 195 pounds. He's a big kid. He's a kid that maybe you could slide down to a linebacker, too. You know, a lot of talk about I saw linebackers with guys like Sue Cravens, you know, who's only about, you know, 6'1", 6'2", you know, 200 pounds. Um, you know, even people talking a little bit about Tahan Goodman playing some I saw linebacker at about 6'1", maybe 6'2", about 190 pounds. So you got those smaller guys that play weak side, you know, draw a curse, 6'4", 195 pounds. I remember, this is the guy that's the nephew of Javon Curse, the freak who played at Florida after he played at Fort Myers in high school. And then in Florida, he was recruited as a safety, ended up developing into a defensive end, obviously played defensive end, outside linebacker at Florida. They went on to the NFL to be a great defensive end for the Titans and a couple other teams. So that, that's kind of one of those things where you look at a guy and you go, okay, you know, he could come in and USC could really like him. It's going to be a long recruiting process type thing for him. I mean, it's, I don't know if that's a guy that you know, is going to go to a camp and then turn around and commit. I don't know if USC would want him to turn around and commit because that's going to be a battle all the way through tooth and nail because a lot of those SEC schools are going to be after him. But in terms of numbers, you could see him wanting to play safety, coming in, and you know maybe he does commit and people are going, oh, my gosh, USC's taking more than five defensive backs or taking four safeties. What's going on, Gerard? What's going on? Well, Look at this guy's lineage. He could end up coming down and playing outside linebacker. Shoot, he could end up being a defensive end. So that's also kind of a, a little bit of a, a variable that you have to put in there with some of these recruits and some of these targets and who's, who's you know, USC's looking at. Okay, let's start. we got to go through a bunch of defensive line questions. We'll start with a defensive tackle. Hey, guys, this is Carl from Kansas City. Uh, this question is for Gerard, and I'm calling about USC uh, and their recruiting and uh, really the position of need that I think will bring us back to the prominence that we need to be at on a national championship level, and that is the defensive line. And I'm calling about uh, just where USC stands with the defensive tackle position. I know that they've got Bigelow. Uh, Kylie Fitz seems to be kind of one of those hybrid kids that we don't know how physically he's going to develop, what position he's going to end up playing. But Eddie Vander does. Uh, here he rocked it last week up in Oregon. And he did really well, um, and I want to know where we stood on on uh, on recruiting him. Uh, we know that uh, those SEC schools they do well on the defensive line. We talked about that last week on them going six, seven, eight, nine deep. USC is very thin there, and uh, I think this is a kid that we just uh, can't let get out of the state uh, and go anywhere. If, uh, I'd be honest with that. I'd rather than go to an SEC school than go to Oregon. But I want to know where we stood on him. What's the like likelihood of us signing him? Uh, and that's it. Fight on. And thanks for taking my question. Bye. And uh, Gerard Martin in Ontario, California, also wanted to know about Eddie Vander does. Carl's the one with the radio voice. He should be doing the intros uh, for you, Ryan. Yeah, record one for us, Carl, and send it in. <laughs> He's got that. Hey, this is Carl. Sexy radio voice, Carl. We're gonna re- uh, we're gonna Carl, redo our intro too. I know. I just I, it's just hard to get my friend to come down here and do it, but we'll do it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, Carl, that's a good question here with uh, defensive linemen because you know defensive line is a position where you want to recruit depth and you want to get quality and you want to get quantity and 
You know, USC is, is it's been hard to get a lot of quality and quantity because what when I mean, you got to go down there and recruit in the southeast because that tends to be where most of the defensive linemen are. Eddie Vanderdose is one guy that uh, you know at about six three, six four, two hundred eighty pounds is kind of a ready-made defensive tackle that is semi-local. He's from Northern California, Placerville. I think one of the things that with Vanderdose that USC is doing is that they are recruiting him harder and giving him a little more um, leeway as an athlete. He wants to hear a little more about defensive end, doesn't want to be just recruited as a defensive tackle, uh, kind of wants to be a guy that can kind of move around a little bit and find his spot. And I think USC is definitely recruiting him harder and definitely likes a little more what he hears. We're going to have to see if he comes down to Rising Stars. That could be a very big movement for him um, with USC. Just, again, kind of with Nico Fala, you, you saw that it definitely made a difference. You know, whether it's going to close the deal with Nico Fala or not remains to be seen. But with Eddie Vanderdose, I think it's going to be something that would be probably a, a big point in his recruitment if he came down and actually participated in the Rising Stars camp and just got around the USC coaches a little more. Um, Oregon is definitely a big player and always has been a big player in his recruitment. Um, you know, I think just the Northwestern schools uh, in general are big players. I think Washington's going to be in there. I think Cal's going to be in there. I think all those schools are, are, are definitely big players. And, you know, baseball is also a player for him. We wrote a real big feature on Eddie Vanderdose just uh, yesterday. And so you kind of have to look at that and, and read through that and, and see that baseball, I mean, there's a guy that's throwing a 92-mile-per-hour fastball. There's a possibility maybe baseball comes calling. So, you know, there's, all, there's some things going on with Vanderdose, and, and we're just going to have to see how the process plays out. But that is the one local guy along with Joe Mathis. You know, we talked about Joe Mathis before. You know, he's a great talent, you know, about 6'2". He's, he's down to about 240 pounds now. He was about 268 for a while. Um, you know, he wants to play defensive end. He is a, a great talent, but, you know, academically, he's got to get some things sorted through for USC to be able to focus back in on him. Um, you know, Kylie Fitz talked about him being versatile, could play inside, could play outside. Obviously, the big guy that they got to keep committed you know, more than anything is Kenny Bigelow. You know, he's 6'3", 300 pounds plus. We're going to see just how elite of a defensive tackle he is this week at the Rivals five-star challenge. Um, but everybody kind of, I think, assumes he's going to be pretty good. You know, whether he is the best of the best, we, you know, kind of have to see. But he's going to probably be pretty good. Other than that, you're looking at trying to grab one of those sleepers, one of those long shots, a guy that, you know, people don't really give USC – uh, a lot of uh, a, a lot of good probability in landing a guy like Montrevious Adams, six three, two hundred ninety pounds uh, from Georgia, a, a guy that you know talks good about USC, but was close to committing you uh, to Clemson early in the process. So Georgia, Clemson, Alabama's working on him hard. That's a guy that's out there floating around that you're trying to bring on an official visit and do the impossible and get a defensive tackle from the Southeast to commit to USC because, trust me, USC's been doing, trying to do it for a long time and they haven't been able to do it despite having some great uh, defensive classes over the years, even going back into Pete Carroll. Um, you got a guy like Justin Manning out of Dallas, Texas for Skyline High School, 6'3", 275 pounds. Um, you know, that's a, a possible guy that, you know, maybe USC can sneak him away from Texas and Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma is really the school there that you have to watch. Um, Demarcus Walker is a guy that says he wants to officially visit USC. He's also kind of a tweener in that, you know, he could play defensive end. Maybe he's more of a defensive tackle. He's about 6'4", 270 pounds uh, from Jacksonville, Florida. There's a possibility there. Florida is definitely in the driver's seat with him. I think the guy that's, you know, kind of lower on the radar that you're going to have to watch is committed to Auburn right now is D-liner, 6'2", 275-pound. 
defensive end, again, a guy that's kind of versatile, could grow into being a defensive tackle. I hear he might be one of the best defensive linemen in the country, a guy that people kind of sleep on a little bit. And, uh, and, and you know, even his, his fellow committed Auburn Tiger Carl Lawson is a guy that's still going to be recruited by USC as a defensive end, 6'2", 250 pounds. Ashawn Robinson, there's another name I could throw at you, 6'4", 300-pound defensive tackle that's committed to Texas is calling out for the Rising Stars camp. So you've got a bunch of names, a bunch of guys that you could throw out there, a um, couple guys locally you know, that might be able to, to jump up there. But if you're talking about elite defensive tackles, you're talking about guys down south, and it's going to be one of those things trying to pair Kenny Bigelow with a guy that I think you know USC makes a move on in late December, January. If it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen late, and it's going to have to be one of those things that's sudden. All right. Uh, you kind of touched on what – uh, some of the subjects of these next two questions, but I'll play them both for you, and then you can kind of answer at the end. Hi, guys. I've got a question on the defensive line. This is Blake in San Diego. Uh, what do you think our chances are, realistically, of uh, getting Robert uh, Nemdici and also a couple other uh, big ones, uh, Montrevious Adams and Eddie Vanderdos? Uh Appreciate your answer. Fight on. Take care. And then here's one more. Hey, Ryan. This is Kyle from Encinitas. Um, it looks like our class will end up getting set with the defensive backs. There's plenty of prospects in California. My question is um, we already have Kenny Bigelow and uh, Kylie Fitz, defensive linemen. I, it feels like USC is going to take at least two more out of the options of uh, Montrevious Adams, Eddie Vanderdose. Justin Manning, Jason Hatcher, Demarcus Walker, and Elijah Quails. Which other two defensive linemen do you feel that we would take? Um, and that's all. So a lot of lot of defensive line questions this week, Gerard. Yeah, and 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 that's kind of going to be you know becoming the focal point because obviously it's an important position and it's a position where you're going to get at least two more guys. So you know people are going to start to wonder, hey, okay, we've got you know this guy and that guy. They start to focus in a little more on uh, on the defensive line, where you know USC didn't recruit real well last year, you know, and they they missed out um, on obviously the big five-star defensive tackle Ellis McCarthy. So it's going to start to come back into the defensive line and what's going on with defensive line. Obviously, I answered probably a lot of those questions. You know, if you know we we did any kind of editing or taping on this, I wouldn't you know step all over the questions that are about to be asked uh, ahead of me. Um, but uh, you know, like I said, with Montrevious Adams, that's kind of the big guy dangling out there, number one defensive tackle uh, in the nation. You know, chances are kind of you know I say on the bottom side of of fifty percent, you know, forty percent. Um, they got to get him on official visit, and you just got to just have that right type of environment and everything kind of planets align to be able to snatch that guy from the SEC. Um, you know, I, I think with a lot of these players, it's it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be official visits. I don't know of a lot of guys that are coming in for the Rising Stars camp, and that is always kind of a little bit of an issue. Um, one of the first questions was about Robert Kendiche. Uh, he's already just committed to Clemson, um, probably before that voicemail question was, was uh, entered. Um, he just committed to Clemson. So he's pretty much off the board for USC. We'll see if USC is able to still sneak an official visit. I heard kind of 
you know, pre-summer, sometime in the spring that USC probably had a good shot at actually getting him on an official visit. Whether he still takes official visits, I'm not sure. I haven't really kept up with his post-commitment comments, um, but, uh, but still kind of a long shot. A lot of people were just surprised that he didn't go to Alabama. That was kind of where a lot of people thought he was going to end up. So, you know, Clemson got a big one there. Um, but, you know, with, with Vanderdose, I think, you know, out of that group, they probably have a better shot at Vanderdose just because he's local, just because they could get him down unofficially. They could get him down to the Rising Stars camp. Doesn't mean they're necessarily a leader for him, doesn't necessarily have a great shot, but I think it's a better shot at this point than a lot of the guys that, you know, I mentioned previously. You know, the Mark, uh, Montrevious Adams or, or Demarcus Walker or D-Liner or some of these guys, I think that's just a little more of you got to go through the process and you got to get these guys on official visits before you start talking about USC having a better than, you know, 30, 40% chance of being able to get a commitment from any of those guys. All right. Well, the last few questions we have are our favorites, the scholarship questions. So we'll probably go through these fairly quickly. Uh, Ryan wants to know, when USC finishes their scholarship reductions and are able to get back to 85 scholarships per year, will they be able to pass out, in quotes, scholarships to players that have walked on during the 2012-2013 season? And could USC use this as a recruiting tool? So basically, they'd have 10 extra scholarships and any guys that walked on, like a Ryan Dillard, who we know had scholarship offers from other schools, could they hand out scholarships to those guys and kind of use that as a recruiting tool that you'll be able to get a scholarship just not for a year or two? That's a good question, as these questions usually are. I believe so. I don't know why USC wouldn't be able to. I mean, once you're off the sanctions and you don't have those scholarship limits anymore, uh, you should be able to give uh, scholarships to whoever wants to be a part of the team. And obviously that's a way to get back up to the numbers that uh, – you, you you didn't have, you know, post uh, or pre-sanctions uh, and, and you had 85. It's going to take a little time to get back up to that full 85. And, uh, and that's a possibility. I don't know how well of a recruiting tool it would be just because – it's difficult to even go to USC for a year and pay for it. You know, I mean, it's not uh, it's not cheap. It's it's not uh, uh, even you know you know some public schools. Um, you know, it's just not expensive. And maybe taking a year of tuition wouldn't be a big deal. You know, you could get some academic aid, but uh, with USC, it's it's an expensive school. And so I don't know if that's really a, a a realistic possibility for a lot of recruits, you know, Hey, you could come to USC and, and all, you, all you're going to have to do is be a year off and then we'll give you a scholarship to follow that. It's something that I think they could dangle out there, but you're talking about a very limited uh, amount of prospects that you could really do that with. And Ryan, just to follow up on that, what, my understanding would be when you're counting scholarships, you've got to count uh, overall and initial. Um, so if you brought in, if, if you had a walk-on that was only in the program for a year and USC got back to 85 scholarships the following year, they gave him a scholarship. I think he would count towards whatever class that was, class of 2015. Um, so he would have to be an initial counter there, not only just an overall counter. But if it was someone that was in the program for two years, I believe then it wouldn't count, wouldn't be an initial counter or just be an overall counter, which is why they – it's easier to give scholarships to walk-ons that have been in the program for a while. So I think that would be one limitation because they want to try to get back up to 85. You want to sign as many of those 25 as possible. But if you, if you give one of the scholarships to a walk-on that's only been around the program for a year, I think he would count towards that 25. I believe that's how it is, Gerard. I, they do get kind of confusing. But I think that would be one of the limitations that would happen. 
you cheated and talked to compliance. I well, I did. I talked to. I did talk to compliance. It's been a while. But I, <laughs> I was. I was. I was answering off the just out of thin air. I that, uh, didn't think it would be an issue because you should be able to roll back. I mean, USC has been able to take advantage of rolling back scholarships from previous classes in order to kind of spread out the damage of the 15 per year, bringing in early enrollees. So I thought, well, it should be uh, not an issue to be able to roll scholarships like that post sanctions too. But I don't know for sure. I didn't yeah. talk to compliance like Mr. Cheater Ryan Abraham did. <laughs> I'm still confused when I talk to them. That was the other question. The next question was with 14 seniors and maybe one or two junior departures, we would only have 15 to 16 positions available for 2013 enrollment. Can the Trojans roll over the excess into 2014 by having three early enrollees and then 12 or 13 fall enrollees? And then have two or three additional scholarships for 2014. And the answer is yes. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what they did this past year. I don't know if you have any follow-up to that, Gerard. Nope. It sounds uh, kosher to me. Yeah, I did ask compliance about that specifically because when the sanctions first came out, we were under the impression that you couldn't roll over scholarships between sanction years. But the compliance made it clear you could do that. You can see USC is doing that this year, bringing in three early enrollees. Uh, if they don't sign all the way to 18, um, then, yeah, I mean, those a couple of the extra ones could go over towards the class of 2014. Uh, Tim yeah, wants to know, did. we get this one a lot. Oh, I'm sorry, Gerard, was there something you want to follow up? No, I was saying, yeah, that they've already done that. So, yeah, yeah. something that, I mean, something that, you know, we, we went into sanctions and we got a lot of official word that was not necessarily accurate. And it just seemed like one of those things that, I mean, it was a process of figuring out, you know, what uh, – what, what what kind of loopholes they could take advantage of. I mean, I don't think USC knew right from the start, you know, what they were going to be able to do with the sanctions and, and the scholarship limitations and how they could, you know, get around things and maximize things. But, you know, I know I, I end up saying it every Trojan Blast podcast, but Lane Kiffin, it was the guy to have running the ship, sailing the ship, leading the ship, whatever, when it came to recruiting <laughs> and finding the angles you know, for all these things. I mean, the guy's just, he's a chess player when it comes to this stuff. And he's always been really good, even as an assistant coach, even as a recruiting coordinator, you know, finding ways to maximize personnel. He really does that very well. He does it. And then Tim wants to find a way to actually maximize personnel in a different way. And I I think you're going to know the answer right away, but he wants to know if the Robinson twins from Lincoln high school receive basketball scholarships from USC, could they play football while not taking one of the limited football scholarships. In other words, could this be a way for USC to get a couple extra football scholarships? No, no. unfortunately. And that's, you know, obviously a question that comes up a lot. You know, it yes. came up when Eric Armstead was committed uh, to USC. And, and, you know, Zach Banner is also going to get an opportunity to play basketball. But football has the hierarchy. Um, football always, if you're going to play football, that scholarship will count towards football. Um, so they can't play football. I think it is for the first two years and then they can come on and play football if they're on a uh, basketball scholarship. Um, kind of like what Tony Burnett uh, had done with track. I mean, you can't be on scholarship, uh, your first two years if you're playing another sport and you're on scholarship with that other sport. So, um, it's one of those things that, yeah, I mean, you know, schools would be doing that left, right and center, you know, they would have, 
you know, terrible basketball teams and they just bring guys in uh, on basketball scholarship and have them play football uh, because football obviously is the bigger money sport. So the NCAA stood in a long time ago and, and basically put the kibosh on that. So uh, you can't, can't do that with the Twins. That's going to be something that if they want to come in and play football right away, they got to be on football scholarships. Yeah, and if you, the important part of this question is the last sentence he says, in other words, could this be a way for USC to get a couple extra football scholarships? If you're ever asking yourself that, the answer is no. Is this a way around? Yeah. No, there's, that's not a way around. You can't do that. Like, no matter what the question is before that, if you're thinking that, then the, the answer is absolutely not. Yeah, if, if you're thinking it, they already thought of it. And if it's not been done, then they're not going to be able to do it. Okay. Uh, and then this last one from David, he says, I am confused in the, in February of 2012 class, if February of 2012 class was the first year of limitations, then 2012, 2013 and 2014 would be three years. I read somewhere where the sports writer was mentioning 2015. When does the madness end? <laughs> well, it's, I think the confusion is just the, the years and the classes because you're always talking about the classes as in this is the class of 2013, yet they're recruiting in the 2012 year. So that, that – and it's just with the football season too, it, it gets kind of confusing as to, you know, you're talking about the upcoming uh, 2013 season, yet we're in 2012. So I, I think that's probably where the confusion lies. Certainly, yeah. And, and, and just the way you look at it now, February, last February or this past February 2012, USC had a limited class. This February 2013, USC would have a limited class. And then there's just one more after that. So, you know, two more Februarys, I guess, if you want to, the, the way you want to look at it. And like Gerard said, the way Lane Kiffin is handling this, um, I mean, handled the, the bull sanctions, did a pretty good job, you know, went 10-2 and two last year, obviously not bad for your second year under sanctions, signed a good class, um, you know, missed a couple of guys late or whatever, but for 2012, first year of, Sanctions. This 2013 class looks ridiculous. The 2012 season looks like it could be ridiculous. And I think you have a very successful 2012 season. That does a lot for the following year for the class of 2014 as well. So if you can ride that success on the field and even the success in the recruiting world, you can probably survive that final year of sanctions 2014. And then it'll just be one more year of, like we talked about, now you get 25, you have to try to get the the numbers back up to 85, how he manages the roster. But the plan he's had in place, I mean, you cannot, you just can't say enough about it's genius. I mean, he's really done an amazing job to not only survive, but thrive during what were the worst sanctions we've ever seen since SMU. And really what everybody's going to want to see is that if there's another program that gets sanctions that are similar to USC, if they're able to do the same thing, because I think it stunned a lot of people. There are people that post, I mean, pre, previous to actually, you know, the sanctions coming down were saying that, you know, if USC just got a bowl ban, if USC just, you know, had five uh, scholarships per year, it was going to set them back. And then when the hammer came down and people were kind of actually surprised at how, how severe the penalties were, you know, the reaction to that was, well, USC is basically off the table for 10 years. You know, there's a decade that they're going to be set back. Um, it's going to be like Miami football and Miami is probably the only real comparison that people have in terms of, you know, talent and where USC was and where Miami was. 
uh, kind of wiping the board clean and putting them on sanctions and seeing kind of how it took the program back. You know, it took Butch Davis, which is ironic because he got busted at, you know, North Carolina for <laughs> sanctions and, 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 and cheating and all kinds of crazy stuff that went on there um, that seemed far worse than actually what USC did. Uh, he was a guy that kind of brought – uh, Miami back from the dead, and, and then they were able to kind of win a, a national championship within, you know, a few years. He wasn't a part of that that team. It was actually Eric Coker that came in afterwards. But you know, Butch Davis was a guy that built that team. But obviously, I mean, that was a that was a that was a real um, blow to that program. It took them back, and that's where everybody was saying, well, you know, look what happened to Miami. Uh, with, with all that talent, you know, USC, which is, is at a, a pinnacle in terms of talent, they were coming off of not a great season, mediocre season with Pete Carroll. People are thinking, well, you know what, they're already on the downslide. Yeah, they're going to be done for 10 years. It's going to be a long time before you see USC come back. And, and quite frankly, they got better, you know, from that last year when <laughs> Carroll was there. And I think it's just shocked a lot of people. And, you know, whether they're able to maintain it, you know, now they have a little more hype behind them. You know, that's the one thing that Lane Kiffin has to deal with, which is different coming into this season. Um, the expectations are higher. There's a thought that, you know, okay, Matt Barkley is a guy that could be a Heisman candidate type quarterback. Um, they should win double digits. They should go to a good bowl game. And so you have a little more, even with the sanctions, you have those expectations, which is really, you know, when you take a step back, uh, kind of remarkable that you have expectations on a team that's right in the middle of sanctions, um, you know, dealing, well, I shouldn't say in the middle of sanctions, but you're dealing with a scholarship issue, which is the main issue when you're talking about personnel and going out there and winning on the field. Bowl bands don't really matter for the team that's there. I mean, that's a, that's a psychological thing, but at the end of the day, that's just a game that you don't play. But right now they're still going through the sanctions with scholarships and dealing with those, and people are going, well, yeah, this is a team that could be a national championship contender. I, I just don't think that that's ever been uttered uh, out loud by anybody um, regarding a team that was actually on sanctions. Yeah, and and you mentioned, I mean, I think people think the bull band's going to hurt recruiting, that a lot of the sports writers just wrote this team off. And certainly there were some stumbles that first year with Lane Kiffin, but, you know, you have new coaching staff, the whole regime change. I actually put up a Twitter question saying that, you know, Lane Kiffin was 18-7 uh, and seven over his first two years. What if Pete Carroll didn't leave and he had to deal with the sanctions too? What would have USC's record been? We got some mixed responses. Most people thought Lane Kiffin would have done better than Pete Carroll would have done because I think they were a lot of people were upset with the staff that Pete Carroll had by the end of his career there. But the interesting thing, Jared, we mentioned this on the the regular podcast, and I know we're we're just about out of time, but I wanted to uh, bring it up. Now that you you know the NCAA sees what USC's done with this, I wonder what their take is, and I wonder what other programs could have survived. And I, I think you definitely need a recruiting head coach, not an X and O's head coach. Not that saying that Lane Kiffin or Urban Meyer, guys that are good recruiters or bad X and O guys, but they're no, I mean, they're, they make their bones by, you know, recruiting. It's not like a Mike Leach. Um, you know, these guys are known for recruiting. You need to have a recruiting head coach to have a chance at surviving the sanctions like this. And I think a program like Ohio State with Urban Meyer would be okay, like USC was. Um, I think like a, a Nebraska could probably do well or a Texas. Oklahoma, maybe. I'm curious, though, like a Nick Saban in Alabama or an LSU. Obviously, there's superpowers, but you're in a concentrated area with a lot of other superpowers. Would the sanctions hurt them more? Uh, or would they be able to sign a, a class of 15 like USC's doing with, you know, three of the first nine commits being five-star guys? I'm curious to see what happens, you know. Or a program even like Oregon, who's been on lately, would they be able to survive? They're way up there in the Pacific Northwest don't have the same kind of tradition. They have, you know, recent tradition. Would they be able to survive if they were 10 scholarships down? I'm not sure. I mean, what USC and Lane Kiffin has done has been pretty 
spectacular. I'm curious to see whether the programs would be able to come close to that kind of success with those kind of, you know, basically with one hand tied behind your back. That would be very interesting to see. And I think, uh, I would probably venture on the side of saying no to most of those programs. I don't even think it's just a matter of recruiting. Obviously, recruiting is two things. Recruiting is the salesmanship part of it, and there are coaches that are good at that. And then there's recruiting in terms of understanding you know, your team makeup and the personnel side of it and evaluation and, and getting guys and trying to maximize their talent and maximize the amount of scholarships you have. And I think with Lane Kiffin, it's definitely he's he's a good recruiter, but I think more than just a salesman, he is a guy that, like I said, he understands chess, not just checkers. He's playing this for the angles. He's understanding, you know, okay, I want to get a quarterback in this class because this is going to happen five steps down the line and being able to see those angles. And I think with that, that's really where he's been that exceptional with USC. You know, Nick Saban, I think Nick Saban's a pretty smart guy. I think uh, Alabama would do okay um, with 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 sanctions and, and be able to muscle through it to some extent. It'd be difficult because you'd obviously have the other SEC schools, which would try to pile on. But, you know, I mean, the SEC schools are trying to pile on USC. Everybody's trying to pile on USC. While they don't have those schools in the conference and they're not going head-to-head uh, with quite as many kids, I think there's still definitely, you know, that percep- perception out there and the negative recruiting that goes on uh, with USC. Um, I think Oregon would definitely be in trouble. Um, Ohio State, you know, I wonder. I don't know if Urban Meyer is a guy that, while he's a great salesman as a recruiter, that aspect of being a great personnel guy, a guy that's able to kind of see the numbers and see the angles, I don't know if that would actually, if they'd be able to pull through quite the way USC has done. Um, I, I just I think there's a lot of issues there for a lot of the coaches, but I agree with you. And it has to be a coach that understands recruiting, but not just from being a guy that can sell a school despite uh, the obviously inherent disadvantage because you have no bowl or you have limited scholarships, but being able to maximize in terms of numbers, knowing that, you know, hey, in 2011, I need to get 30 guys now. You know, I need to make sure that we just get as many bodies as we can because we got to be able to practice. We got to be able to get scout team guys. We can't just, you know, hold our breath and say, well, we're just going to try to bear through and spread this all out. You know, that was a calculated move by Lane Kiffin. So, I mean, there's been a lot of those types of moves. And again, that's the other side of recruiting where you have to understand the numbers game. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. We appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing all the insight, dropping the knowledge bombs on all of us with USC recruiting. And uh, we'll talk to you. I'll see you in. Uh, Hot Atlanta, when we get down there for the Rivals Five-Star Challenge. And next week, we can uh, talk about everything we saw uh, down there at the camp and stuff. So it should be a lot of fun. But thanks again, Gerard, for coming on. Thanks for having me as usual. All right, everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, Trojan Blast Recruiting Edition. We'll be back next week, our regular podcast on Monday after we get back from the Rivals Five-Star Challenge. We'll come back with a Trojan Blast during that week as well. Send in your questions, podcast at uscfootball.com. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.